we have about four to six months before this reserve dollar tank empties out. And when it does empty out, think about what happens. Well, hello there, my friends. Ralph here from the End Game Investor with this week's Silver Report for Arcadia Economics. And today, I want to go into a very controversial topic, subject that many people shy away from, including myself in most periods. But now I'm feeling more confident. I want to talk about timing. I believe we have something between four to seven months until we have the final financial crisis, which will lead to the final round of money printing, which will lead, in my opinion, to the end game. I could be wrong. I have been wrong before. I am not a prophet and I am not a genius. I am just looking at logical patterns and charts and seeing what is running out, what tanks running out, and how much time you may have left. This is a very complicated case, Maude. You know, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous, and uh, a lot of uh, strands to keep in my head, man. I have seen these movements in gold and silver before. I have seen the dismal price action, and they usually, price action like this, usually leads to a financial crisis or precedes it. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about timing today. Something between four to seven months could even be earlier than that. So be ready however you get ready, whether it's by stacking or by owning mining stocks or whether it's by stacking food or protection or moving out into the country. You've got to be careful. We're at the end of this, I believe, and don't have that much longer to go. Let's begin with our sponsor, Fortuna Silver Mines, symbol FSM. The case here is very simple and it extends into all decent and well-managed gold and silver miners, which of course includes our sponsor Fortuna. Uh, on October 5th, news out of Vancouver, Fortuna Silver Mines reports record gold and gold equivalent production for the third quarter of 2023 from its five operating mines in West Africa and Latin America. Gold and silver production for the quarter was 94,821 ounces and 1.7 million ounces respect, respectively or 128,671 gold equivalent ounces. This is a record for the company. We can see how they are operating wisely and efficiently despite the negative market conditions and the general case for gold and silver miners right now is that they are the most oversold, underpriced relative to the gold and silver prices. You're not going to get deals like this for much longer. Could it go lower? Could the stock go lower? Could gold and silver go lower over here? Yes, it could temporarily as the final financial crisis approaches. That is, I believe, where we are. And it is time to make your decisions and decide what you really believe. It's time to ask yourself what you believe. So anyway, let's talk about timing. Our first chart for today is the weekly move in reverse repos. Reverse repos, there's a lot of fancy names to refer to these things, but it's basically a whole bunch of money was printed, not money, but dollars. A whole bunch of dollars were printed in 2020 and 2021. The banks couldn't handle about 2.2 trillion, or maybe 2.5 trillion. They couldn't handle all of this cash being sucked into their bank accounts. They couldn't handle all of the overflow because it does cost money to manage money in a bank account. Uh, so all of the extra money they had to give back to the Fed and the Fed 
gave them interest on it because otherwise they just have to stick it somewhere in the economy and cause severe consumer price inflation. So the Fed didn't want them to do that. So they gave them a reverse repo facility where they could stash the cash temporarily overnight and the Fed would give them interest and they could keep doing this over and over and over and over again. And this is why the Federal Reserve is in perpetual losses now. And I think they have topped $177 billion in confirmed realized losses. The unrealized losses of the Federal Reserve are much higher. I think they are over a trillion dollars now. But anyway, this is the weekly change in reverse repos. This is the dollar reserve tank. And we're going to get into the exact amount of it uh, in a few slides from now. I think it's at 1.26 trillion or something like that, but we'll see the real number in a second. So this is the weekly move, uh, end of week move. So this is the worst week, I mean, not the worst, but the, the, the week that it uh, descends or it falls the most since October of 2021, since two years ago. Uh, so the title here is wrong. It's not in two years. It's in, it's not in a year. It's in two years. So it's the worst, uh, the the biggest drawdown from reverse repos in the dollar reserve tank in two years. Now, why is that happening? Let's go to the next chart. Um, I believe one of the factors that it is happening is the is rising interest rates and interest rates rose. Uh, like crazy this past week. Uh, I think the TLT 20-year bond plus futures ETF, 20-year uh, bond ETF, not futures, uh, the, the volume on that ETF was the most ever, the weekly volume was the most ever. Uh, this thing is being dumped across the board. And as interest rates rise, you have unrealized losses in banks. When you have unrealized losses in banks, that frees up balance sheet space. And so they take money out of the reverse repo account and they put it back into their balance sheet to, to use that freed up space because they don't want to show all these losses directly. They'll have to show them. They're not going to be able to hide them. But I think the uh, the money that is going back into reverse repos every day, less of it is going back and it's just staying at the banks now. Now that they have so much losses on their balance sheets, they can afford to hold that money directly in the bank system rather than in the reverse repo. So when we get into uh, what is going on in the reverse repo, of course, we're going to see this chart. This is from SIFMA. I forgot what it stands for. It's the uh, It's the organization that counts all of the treasuries and who owns them and the issues and all this stuff. Uh, so SIFMA uh, had this table that was published in their newest tabulation that was published on their site, uh, I think on uh, yesterday, October 5th. Uh, and it shows here that since June, this is when the debt ceiling was resolved and the Congress could start to issue more treasury bills and treasury notes and treasury bonds. Since then, the net cash raised uh, since the debt ceiling was resolved is $1.4 trillion. Now, since then, we see here, I've highlighted May 31st, that's the day before the auction started when the debt ceiling was resolved. We were at $2.254.859 trillion dollars in the reverse repo. This is the reverse repos that uh, existed on, on a day-by-day -day basis. We are now at, here's the number, 1.265 trillion. Uh, we are down by about uh, $990 billion since then. And from the peak here in the beginning of 2023, we're down about 50% uh, in 10 months. But the, 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 the pace has really picked up since June when the debt ceiling was resolved. So, now that we're down to 1.265 trillion, if uh, we count that, uh, but let's say about a trillion dollars 
from June to October, that gives about five months, four to five months, four to six months, exactly how much, uh, I don't know, uh, but it's a rate, so we've got to average it out. We have about four to six months before this reserve dollar tank empties out. And when it does empty out, think about what happens. Well, when you have unrealized losses and you have uh, companies that need money and there's no reserve tank of dollars to take money from, like a reverse repo account, then you've got to start selling assets to raise dollars to pay your debts. And that's when we have a deflationary crash. Uh, so four to six months, that's the timing from the reverse repo tank. But we see it here also, and I'm showing this on the Endgame Investor as one of my triangulation methods. I look at the spread between three-month rates and 10-year rates. This is the spread, like the, the yield on the 10-year minus the yield on the three-month. We see here that every time it goes below zero, uh, when it rises back up to 0.6%, this blue line here is the 0.6% or 60 basis points on the spread between the 10-year and the three-month every time without exception, since 1990. Uh, and it could go back to 1983. I can't see it. This is as far as data goes back, but it looks it looks you know pretty similar even for that one in the, in the early 1980s. Every time the spread goes back to 0.6%, uh, then we have a recession almost immediately. We see it here in this circle. The gray shaded area is, is a recession area. A recession is just another word for a financial crisis. Um, it's just in different flavors. Uh, and here we see it also 0.6. Once the yield goes to 0.6 after crossing the zero threshold below, uh, we have a recession almost immediately of the gray shaded area. Same exact thing happened in 2007, 2008. We crossed 0.6, 60 basis points in the spread, and we have a major recession. Same thing happened in 2020. We crossed six points, 60 basis points after going below zero. And here we have again another recession or financial crisis, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing. And now look, we have gone from, I think this is a low of 189 basis points, negative 1.89% uh, in the negative yield spread between 10 year and three months, and we are headed back up. And usually when we're headed back up from below zero at this velocity, it keeps going. It can either it can keep going one of two ways. It can keep going because long-term interest rates keep rising relative to short-term interest rates, and that widens the spread. Or it could keep rising because the Fed decides to cut short-term rates from where they are, 5.54% now to, let's say, 2.10 negative, whatever the Fed decides to do. Either way, it's going. this spread is going to head up. Uh, now, if we extrapolate how long this took to head up to 0.6 and how long this took to head up to 0.6 from where it was, and how long this one did, and the the trajectory now, uh, you see here the slope going up. It's the same thing as the reverse repo tank. We have about four to six months until the next financial crisis, and then the Fed will cut back to zero or negative and print trillions of dollars, and that should be the end of the dollar-based system shortly after that. Uh, I wanted to move into Japan because Japan had a huge week this week. I think they bought a whole bunch of bonds, the Bank of Japan, to try to keep the uh, 10-year yield down. That didn't work. As you see from this chart, it just keeps going up. We're now past 0.8%. So they're buying yen is not working. And at the same time, they're trying to keep the yen below 150 per dollar. And uh, they did that. And what's that going to do? Well, they do that by selling treasuries. And that's probably why treasuries went, the treasury yield in the figure went up a lot this week. I think Japan was involved in that in saving the yen. Um, now we're going to go to a long-term chart here, going back to 1971. I think this is this is mortgage rates, 30-year mortgage rates. We are at the end of a huge cycle here. Um, we had 22 years 
uh, from about 1971 until 1993, uh, when rates were above where they are now at 7.5% 30-year mortgage. And then we had seven years where they were bouncing around 7.5%. And then after that, we have another 22 years where they are consistently below 7.5%. So this is a very large um, pivot point in long-term rates. Now, the question is, why, if 30-year mortgage rates are 7.5%, why aren't housing prices falling? And actually, Peter Schiff helped answer this question for me in an article that he wrote. I think he was quoting his podcast, but I'm not sure for Schiff Gold. And here, I'll explain it to you pretty simply, and it makes a lot of sense. And I am personally in the situation, and I hope many of you are as well. It's a very simple situation, and here it goes. So Schiff explains the next housing crisis. Now, the next housing crisis is going to be concurrent with the next financial crisis. It's all going to come together. So we have housing inventory. We have a historically low housing inventory here, going back to 1983, 1982, whatever that is, 1981 maybe it is. Um, and we had a huge housing inventory here. This was the housing crisis of 2006, 2008. Inventory went up because people had to sell their houses um, and nobody was moving in. So we had all this uh, supply and housing prices collapsed. But uh, despite housing prices falling a little bit, and we'll see that chart in a second, we have a near record low inventory. And if this is an inflection point here, as a seasonal inflection point, we're going to head down here. So why is inventory so tight, especially with, in, with uh, interest rates so high? Why aren't people selling their houses? Uh, what's going on here? Uh, so we see another chart, existing home sales. Existing home sales are also right near a an all-time low that was achieved here. I think this is 2009. This is the this is the 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 trough of the last housing crisis. We're right near there. Existing home sales are very very low. People aren't selling. Why is that? What is going on? So uh, we see this reflected in the housing prices. Single-family home prices. Uh, so we have a little bit of a, of a pull down here, a tiny, tiny little pull down. But as you'll see in the next chart, it doesn't look to be sustained. It looks like housing prices have stabilized here. How is that possible with 7.5% interest rates? You see here in the 2008 crisis, they fell and fell and fell into 2012. And we see these seasonal flux every year. And uh, it looks like we've stabilized. Why is that? Okay, so the case Schiller... State, the Case-Shiller Index is stable. The Case-Shiller 20 is uh, the preferred, no, most uh, used housing price index in the U.S. And we see here that we did go below 0%. We, are fall we were falling year over year for a little bit, but not by much. Certainly nowhere near as much as we were falling in the 2007-2008 housing crisis, where we were falling at a peak of 20% a year, and not even, even, not even half as much as we were falling in the echo uh, housing collapse of 2012. Uh, which wasn't really that major compared to this one, of course. So this one really isn't anything. It's it's not much. Why aren't housing prices falling? So the answer that Schiff gives is this, that back in 2008, and it's very simple, uh, people had variable rate mortgages, which is true. And as, as interest rates rose, they couldn't pay their mortgages anymore. So they had to sell the house and get out from under that underwater mortgage and that's when inventories went up and people were selling like crazy because they needed dollars and uh, housing prices collapsed, right, on that selling panic. But now it's different because most people have a fixed rate mortgage, including yours truly here in Israel. I have a fixed rate mortgage. Many people have a fixed rate mortgage. They were buying houses hand over fist in 2020 and 2021 when 10-year rates were like, I don't know, half a percent, one percent, whatever crazy number it was. And now they have this house where they have to pay a very, very low mortgage payment monthly. 
Uh, so why would they sell the house where they're not sure what price they can get, and then they have to buy a house at seven and a half percent mortgage rates where they'd be paying much more, where they'd be paying much more uh, on a monthly basis? This doesn't make sense. Would you do that? I would do that. I don't want to buy a house right now, even if it's a bigger one, because I don't want to pay. Uh, I think a fixed rate mortgage here in Israel is like 11 or 12% now. Well, I, I have a much lower rate than that. Why would I sell? I'm not going to sell. Most people are in that same situation where they don't want to sell. So the inventory is low. The prices are remaining stable because people are staking where they are. But who bleeds when this happens? Well, the bank who sold that mortgage, that 30-year mortgage at what? A half a percent, one percent, one and a half percent, three percent, whatever it was. They are getting much less money now from then than they could now. So the fact that people are paying those mortgages are hurting the banks themselves. So we're going to head into a banking crisis because people are paying their mortgages and not selling, not because they're not. Uh, so when does this happen? When does this banking crisis happen? Well, I think it's when the reverse repo tank dries up and the banks run out of extra dollars to use. And there's a dollar crisis and they need to pay their debts. They need to pay their high interest rate debt or one of their clients does and they take money out of the bank account in order to pay their high interest rate debt. And we're in, we end up with a serious dollar crisis that leads to the final round of printing. This is only a matter of time. I believe it is months away and I believe it will hit when the reverse repo tank falls to zero somewhere between February and April of next year. It could happen beforehand. In the meantime, we're going to get some good bargains on gold and silver and mining stocks. Buying low and selling high, it's, it's a terrifying thing. It is. It's not easy. If it were easy, everyone would be rich selling and trading stocks, but it is not for these specific reasons, because we say to ourselves, why isn't gold and silver going up? But trust me, believe me, and I do not give advice, and I could be wrong, of course, but when the Fed turns around and prints trillions of dollars in response to the next banking crisis because of what is going on in the housing market and interest rates, gold and silver are going to go up in a way that they never have in history meaning the dollar is going to go down very fast and is going to bankrupt most of the world, except for people that have a stack of real money, whether that is gold for wealth stability or is silver as the public's money for emergency retail purposes. I believe you need both and you will see why in the next few months. This is Rafi of the Endgame Investor. If you enjoyed this video, then please sign up for a two-week free trial of the Endgame Investor, where I give people a front row seat to the vagaries of the banking and monetary systems in light of the upcoming and incoming Endgame in the next few months. I hope to not be the Endgame Investor after 2024. I hope I will retire and I will become the new game investor into whatever we are headed into because it's time for this story to end. And as it does, you can also sign up to be my Patreon on Patreon for as little as $3 a month, where I give a more biblical perspective on what is going on in the monetary system. And there is a lot to say about that. And it is emotionally comforting to myself and to many of the people who listen to me. And I have the pleasure and the privilege to teach as the system falls apart. This is Rafi, the Angular Investor, and I'll see you guys next week.